The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, friends, and welcome to Typology. I'm Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and we want to congratulate Ian on the success of his new book, The Road Back to You, Passing the 100,000 Copies Sold Mark. If you haven't read the book yet, go to Amazon, iTunes, or wherever your local books are sold and grab a copy. Moving along, we've got a great show for you today, but first, I'd like to remind you about our Patreon campaign. Patreon is a way for you to support content you believe in, like Typology, on a monthly basis. For as little as a dollar a month, you can partner with us to help us cover things like equipment upgrades, studio time, post-production editing, licensing fees, and other stuff it takes for us to produce each episode of Typology. Just go to www.patreon.com forward slash typology. That's www.patreon.com forward slash T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y and select the level at which you want to support the show. You will not only receive our undying love and gratitude, but you're going to get a bunch of great bonus content as well. Even a dollar a month, folks, is a huge help. And as promised, I'd like to give a shout out to a few of you who have contributed to Patreon already. Thank you, Anna Maria Ballister Bond, Maria Heater, Kieran, Kingsley Kaminer, Hannah Menendahl, Ashen Mary Dotson, Jill Childerhose, Kim Hewitt, Maria DeLong, Charles Moorhead, Mandy Cook, and Sarah Moore. Know that your contributions are so greatly appreciated. And now, here's the host of Typology, Ian Cron. Hello, Typology Tribe, Ian Cron. Welcome back to our show on which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. And today, my good friend Brian Harden is here. If you don't know Brian Harden, you need to know Brian Harden, the creator of the Daily Audio Bible. So tell me, just give people like sort of the one sentence description of what is the Daily Audio? What is it? What do you do? Daily Audio Bible is just a program that's daily and it's audio and it's the Bible. We're going through the entire Bible in a year in community all around the world. So you all just you, you read the text and uh, uh, and then that's it uh, pretty much or? No, we'll read the text, that day's portion of the text, right. and then uh, I'll react to it. Mm. Sometimes it's life application, sometimes it's history, sometimes it's just, you know, backstory or, or whatever, but we're moving our way through the Bible trying to do it holistically and keep it in context. Right. Who's your audience? You got a lot of people listening. I'm just curious. I'm curious about this. Who who, who listens? Uh, it's all over the world and every demographic in every conceivable denomination. It, it's actually really a beautiful picture of people of faith. Right. I would imagine you, you have a fairly good, if we're going to use these terms, uh, liberal constituency all the way to conservative, maybe even to agnostics and atheists. Who knows what, right? For sure unbelievers believers right. uh, in every kind of 
political circumstance you can say. I mean, uh, liberal, conservative, even in other countries, mm-hmm. look different in this country. So it's just all over the map. I just love the idea of people reading sacred text and actually thinking about their lives in those terms, regardless of where they are on their spiritual path. I think that's fantastic. Well done. And 110 million, you'll soon be up to us here on Typology. Um, You're also an author. You have two books. You have Reframe, colon, The God We've Made to God with Us. Explain that subtitle. Uh, When I wrote that book, I was truly and deeply trying to understand what we were talking about when we say we're in a relationship with God. Mm. That's really said often. Yeah. What does that mean, though? And so the book uh, just kind of delves into what that what that looks like, what it's shaped like. Mm. Your second book is Passages, How Reading the Bible in a Year Will Change Everything for You. I think that's a, a fairly self-explaining title. But just very quickly, tell me how the just the first time you read the Bible in a year, give me two or three senses, how, it, how did it change you? It, it, actually, reading the Bible in narrative form, in its full context, in its entirety, uh, changed the way I looked at the scriptures because the scriptures had always been thematic or you know taught uh, from the pulpit in a way that gave you some promises and some warnings, but you can jump all over the place to make your point. And keeping it in its context truly changed the way I look at God. Mm, okay, how? I grew up in a pastor's home. If I had to put it in words, I would say, I thought Jesus loved me, but his dad was usually mad. And uh, I found in the scriptures, no, there is judgment. There are all those things in the Bible, but out of their context, you don't understand. Mm, wow. Okay, we could go a long time on that. Sure. That's a, but, but I love that you're, you're exploring those kinds of themes. I think that's, that's wonderful. Let's just jump to your Enneagram journey now. You're, you are a number five. Oh, yes, a five, the investigators. Um, I now don't call them the investigators. We did in the book, The Road Back to You. I call them the observers uh, now. I've vacillated. But it's a wonderful type. You want to talk a little bit about what it's like to live in your shoes and what a five is? And I'm a five with a pretty strong four wing. And, uh, you know, I could, I could vacillate. Am I a four? Am I a five? But when I, when I read it all down and actually look at how I'm living, I'm a five. Hmm. But my creative side comes from the four. So my five side sort of manages my four side and helps my four side get things done creatively. And I think that my five side is my attempt to understand and process what I'm actually feeling. Hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it's uh, kind of a tangled web up in there. It is. By the way, there's a new Chris Stapleton record out. Are you a, are you a Chris Stapleton fan? Oh, my gosh. It's so dang great, people. <laughs> so there's a, a song on there called Untangle My Mind. And it really is about his, I think, you know, what, what's it like to get up inside our crazy heads yeah. and realize that it's a dangerous neighborhood up there. Shouldn't walk around it alone, as Anne Lamott says, you know. Yeah. It's a crazy planet up in your brain. So for you, you're a five. You're, you're an observer, which is, these are wonderful. Well, it's a wonderful, wonderful number. And some of my dearest friends have, have been fives who, who I just, I deeply love for their ability to be um, non-judgmental, to be neutral, to always tell me the truth 
they are amazing about keeping confidences. Yeah. You, I mean, they can, you know, we talk about the seal of the confession. You, you can tell a five anything and they will not repeat it to anybody else because they're so private that they don't, they're just putting the shoe on the other foot, right? They're oh, you nailed it in the book, uh, just in terms of holding confidences because that's how you would want to be treated. And that's correct. So back to this Enneagram journey thing, I've just explained my love for fives, but I want to know what your journey with the Enneagram has been. I know now a little bit about your Bible journey. Now I want to know about your Enneagram journey. I didn't even know the Enneagram existed until a couple of years ago when uh, a, a mutual friend of ours had told me that you were working on the book and he was so moved by his experience with the Enneagram that it kind of sent me looking into it. And my first pass was, wow, this is really informational. This is more information for me. But What then, a good five response. Yeah. But when the book came out, it sort of untangled it and put it in a vernacular that I, I could more identify with. And so I found, yes, I'm a five, and I think my wife's a four, and I'm trying to tell her this, and of course, she's a four, so she doesn't want to be like anybody else, and she doesn't want to be found in a book, but I'm like, no, for real, and I went through the questions, found her number, she's a four, and I read the chapter to her, and she, you know, she was sitting on the couch weeping by the time it was done, because it had given language to how she feels inside, which is what I had experienced with, you know, reading my own number. And so, yeah, that's really where it began. And we got our, our kids involved and kind of found their numbers. And my daughter, then who is a one, has been relentlessly pursuing a more understanding mm. uh, through the Enneagram. So for us, it's just been a resource, a tool that gives language and expands our understanding of each other and of ourselves. And now as a five, I'm kind of like, okay, calling me a five would be accurate, but the premise is that's the game you're playing. Mm -hmm. So it's sent me into, you know, okay, what's behind the story here? What's the plot behind all of this? I, if five is what I do to cope, if five is how I interact with the world, then who am I? Yes. And that's the journey that I'm on now. Just like, okay, let me get behind all of this. It's true. These characteristics are true. But if this is my facade, I want to know me. Mm. And uh, so I guess I'm trying to become not a five. I'm trying to become me. Yes. This is so fantastic. So so uh, someone asked me this uh, this past weekend, you know, how does all this come together with who we are and genes and all this other stuff? And I said, well, of course, you're born with temperament and disposition. I will always be slightly melancholy as a four. My daughter, Kaylee, will always be uh, a go-getter, aggressive person. My nine came into the world serene. She's always going to have that sort of peaceful demeanor. Uh, my son, you know, I can go on. People are born anxious, you know, but they come out anxious. That's, that's all temperament, disposition. Now, personality kind of gets helped shaped by that informed by it experience uh the way we perceive the world uh culture contributes to it but as you know there are these coping mechanisms and our adaptations and stuff and we needed them as little kids without them we would not have survived yeah. but when you use the tools of the past to solve the problems of the present you're living inside a children's book mm -hmm. if you're doing that and this is why we get into so much trouble, why the Enneagram can be so helpful to us, because as you said, when you use the word untangle, it illuminates 
things that you're like, oh, that's why five girlfriends in a row didn't work out. <laughs> and then why do they all say the same things in just different right. words, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. So back to this journey of yours, it sounds like it's, it's had some impact on your family life, right? Oh, for sure. Just in terms of understanding, yes. having language to say, this is what's going on and having a way to interact with each other. I, w- I was going to say more peaceably, but that's that's not accurate. Just having an understanding, a baseline of where the other person is. Hmm. Yeah. All right, I'm going to ask some probing questions here, okay? Fives typically have trouble connecting with their feelings. They are actually the, the most emotionally distant, uh, at times unavailable, numbers on the the end of the most analytical the most up in their heads have you in recent days found yourself becoming more fluent in the language of feelings I, i think so i mean i think my feelings have always been a part of my life and so i wouldn't call it a battle in my head but there is the analytical side that wants to uh understand everything and then there is the creative side of me that feels deeply and so my five side analyzes my four side my wife being a full-blown four like she's she's sick there's this flu thing and so you know yesterday i'm checking on her and my questions might be you know do you need anything uh can i get you anything and then i'll walk out of the room and let her try to heal but what she needs more feelings empathy this kind of stuff. So she sends me an email because she was kind of uh, upset that I was like, do you want me to clear my schedule and be here with you today? For her, that's not the right question. I should just do it. But I don't just know that intuitively. So she sent me an email later saying, I'm sorry, you know, that I was a, a, a little irate. It would be nice that you would just do that. But I'm realizing that's just not a part of your scope. That's not how you're thinking. You're trying to fix this. You're running around getting me the medicines that I need. You're just trying to fix this. So it's just helped. Mm. That could have been an offense, but the Enneagram has helped us know, like, no, I just didn't know any better. Yeah, this is why I get so excited at one level about the Enneagram, because it, it gives people language. Now it's no longer personal. It's no longer, you're the guy who always, and now it's like, you know, man, you're, you know, we got this five thing going on right now, and the four in me is responding poorly to the five in you. And and what she's actually doing is using this as a spiritual formation tool with you. What she's actually doing is saying, can you expand beyond the limitations or the boundaries of your automatic self and move into a space that will meet me um, reasonably, right, uh, where I need meeting right now? Uh, can you, you know, that's how I think God is. I mean, God <laughs> deigns to become a person or to inhabit bread and wine. And you know, it's like, well, however I got to get to you, you know. And so I, I think that's that's awesome that you now have this language that, you know, kind of gets the conversation going in a more healthy, helpful way. For sure. Without a doubt, it has helped. Gosh, that's fantastic. All right. So you get a lot of emails, I bet, don't you? How many emails do you get a week? Make a guess at it. Oh my gosh. Hundreds. Hundreds. So you sent out 800 copies of The Road Back to You to a bunch of your listeners as part of a Christmas program of yours. Um, I just want to know, did you did you get any pushback from people who said... Uh, doesn't the Enneagram contradict the Bible <laughs> or is it, is it really okay to, you know, look outside the Bible for these kinds of answers? Did you get any of that? 
Some of that, why would you promote a pagan tool? Yeah. <laughs> Let's close the show. I just want you to know my producer, everybody, Anthony, is almost on the floor. He's laughing so hard right now. <laughs> yes. Uh, that kind of, you know, Enneagram is an interesting word. Google it and you'll find a lot of stuff. And, you, you know, you, you'll find, uh, you know, detractors for whatever reason. It just wasn't my experience. I'm not really, I don't really care exactly all of the origins of this. I care that what you wrote in the book was clear and helpful and uh, raised my spiritual awareness, gave me some awareness of myself and those around me, especially within my family. And uh, I didn't think you wrote this to make a theological statement. I think you wrote this to use a tool that is actually helpful in unlocking some things inside yourself. And uh, you don't have to do a mantra and, you know, you don't have to uh, turn all the lights off and light candles and hope for some ghost. It's not like that. Right. It's a very, very practical tool that if you use it in a practical way and invite God into that process, it's incredibly enlightening. Yeah. You know, it's so funny you should say that about Google, because sometimes people will say to me, you know, well, I Googled the word Enneagram and, you know, this came up. I go, I want you to do me a favor and in the search field of Google, just punch in Jesus and see what comes up. Right. (laughs) Or punch in the word Bible and see what comes up. You'll find some nut jobs out there and you can take anything in this life and and twist it or turn it uh, for ill purposes or distort it. And I just tell people, it's all in the hands of the user. Yeah. And you have to figure out if the user or the teacher is trustworthy or not, you know, and just use your... What is it about, by the way, people of faith... I'm just going to ramble here, but, like, but what is it about people of faith these days? And I don't think it's new, but they're so anxious, number one. Um, uh, and, and number two, it's as if they don't trust their own critical minds. Now, this is a good thing to ask a five, okay? Because I'm always the type who's like, "Did you do you not have a, a, a analytical, a smart, critical, analytical mind that is not anxious about encountering something new to see if there's anything to be mined from it of use to you in your own spiritual life? But you're anxious and worried and and then therefore you you close yourself off to sources that could be so enriching i mean how how do we help people be more open is not the right word but curious receptive and actually maybe trusting that they'll know if it's good for them or not do you know where i'm going uh, from my perspective uh, people especially people of faith don't want to get it wrong so they'll move down a path trying to perfect their theological understanding and their doctrine in an attempt to make the perfect box. Like, this is how it is. And then then you protect that box. But God has never, at least in the scriptures, been anything but counterintuitive, uh, has never been anything but willing to blow up every box that was ever made to contain him. Mm. And uh, so, yeah... Just trying to get all the facts right about God isn't the same as being in a relationship with God. Like, the, that's the whole point of the book Reframe. Knowing everything there is to know about my wife does not mean I'm in a relationship with her. Mm. It means I have a bunch of information about her, but I actually have to be in the day-to-day mm-hmm. relating to her. And I think that that's an important piece in a person's journey. 
uh, even as a five, I've tried. I've tried to perfect the theology. I've tried to perfect the doctrine. Like, God will lead us continually into a place where that won't work anymore. Mm, that's so good. So my question for you now then is, the, the, the Enneagram provides people with a lot of information about themselves, but it doesn't guarantee they're going to know themselves. Yeah. Would you, do you think that's true? I think that's very true. That's, what I, that's why I'm trying to ask those questions mm. that are behind the questions that the Enneagram brings up. What? Because if this is the game, then there's somebody behind that. And that's your true identity. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to know that, that person. How? Like what, and what are you learning about that person? If the Enneagram is saying, okay, here's those parts of your personality that you just need to divorce yourself from. Not the whole thing. I mean, you're, you know, they're beautiful parts of it. It's just these parts that are not working anymore. And they're obscuring that which is best about you so that you can begin to see and incarnate that, that true self. Where are you on that? Who is that? Were you getting glimpses? Who is this person, this real Brian? It's probably a good question for a year from now, but, um, Right now, I am very, very specifically slowing the world down. My life is in my head, and it's always in the future. And I'm trying to be here, mm. and I'm trying to, you know, access my four side and allow myself to feel right now instead of trying to store that. Because what happens for me is I'll keep storing and storing and storing because I'm always out in front looking for problems, and my life is very busy. So I'm storing and storing and storing until I can't remember what I've stored. And that just turns into anxiety that cannot be named. Yes. Yes. You just beautifully described often what's going on inside a five's mind. You know, sometimes people will say to me, this is quintessential five. I look into my husband's face and it's like looking into a blank computer screen. It's very calm, distant. You know, you can, but there's no sort of affect in that sort of five zone. This is not you, but this is a... a oh, it's me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So anyway, and I say to him, you know, well, sometimes, and this is true of other, a couple of other numbers too. I said, you know, on the surface, they look very calm. Like if you look at a duck on a surface, it looks very calm. But if you go underneath the water and look at their little feet going, <laughs> that's the mind, man. I mean, that's the mind down there. And so there's a lot going on behind that quote unquote blank computer screen that, yeah. you know. Even the idea of uh, the five and their energy level and hoarding energy and stuff. I think that's completely true. But from a five perspective in my head, it's like, no, I'm using as much energy as anybody else. It's just the churning through the thoughts trying. I mean, it's all happening in my head. Mm. So I, you know, I've, I have to manage my energy so I can get anything done. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was just on a weekend, a Helen Palmer teaching weekend, a great teacher. And there was a panel of fives there. And the interviewer would ask the group a question. And unlike any other number, there's always about a three-second pause before the answer comes. They kind of look off like they're dissociating for a moment. And about three seconds goes by, and they're looking away. And and sometimes it'll go five or six seconds, and you can get a little tense. You know what I mean? Like, okay, was he going to answer? Is he having a stroke? What's going on here? And and then they answer. And the way I explain that is, is they have file inside of file inside of file inside of file. That they're like in their memory is the, the, the like the processor slows down because there's so much information in there. I think it's all of that. Then it runs through a filter of risk. 
and how to form the words so that you're saying what you want to say and not saying things that you don't want to say. It's all of it. Great. You've also underscored another really important thing about fives, which is the issue of competency. Mm-hmm. And it's so, oh, it's so important to fives that they be perceived as competent. They're so afraid of the appearance of ineptitude. Yeah. Is that your life story a little bit? Yeah, especially from a public speaking perspective. Right. I mean, if I'm just in creative mode and by myself, that doesn't bother me. I'm just kind of going into more forward. But yeah, in trying to communicate, whether written or whether speaking, yeah, it's very, very important that I'm clear, that my words were chosen, and uh, that I'm using as few words as possible. Mm. I want it to actually matter. Yeah, it's so funny. We talk about the talk style of fives being symposium. It's like they're delivering a paper and it's so carefully worded. Fives don't typically, I don't know about you, but they don't typically like it. In fact, they hate it when people ask them to speak uh, spontaneously. You know, give a toast or, you know, could you give us a few remarks about X at a, you know, at the office party? Mm, they get this blank look a lot of times of terror, like, I'm not ready for that. I don't like it a bit. And it's usually, hey, can uh, when when will this be happening? We got five minutes, 10 minutes. I got to go to the bathroom here first. Yeah. My, yeah, yeah. my son's a seven and he actually goes to the host and says, can I talk? <laughs> <laughs> Have you been in counseling before? Sure. It's a private question. You're a five. You probably hated the fact that I just asked you such a personal question. I mean, I've worked with spiritual director before and yeah, and, and therapy to actually even right now, working through some of how to untangle what we're talking because this has started a journey Mm. that is an answer to my prayers which was uh you know effectively how do i get back to the bedrock because you can you know layers and layers and layers happen in archaeology and they happen in a person's life and you have to carefully peel back those layers and find the strata and find out what the message is you know what the civilization in that strata was Mm. that's kind of how it is inside of our hearts yes so you can just go in with a bulldozer trying to find something or you can carefully go wait a minute this layer got here somehow and it's connected to the one below it and i need to understand this one before i get to the one below it or i'll just it'll be destructive yeah and we need help yeah you know we just you know it was it einstein who said that the same consciousness that created the problem can't solve it you know we need somebody a trusted pair of eyes and someone who can ask the right question yes yeah, I find that the question thing is, do you ever write down great questions? Yes. I went through a, something a couple of years ago, and a friend of mine, Gail Hyatt, she, I, I just shared with her something very painful going on in my life, that a loss. And she looked at me and she said, it sounds like you want to get back to where life was before this happened. Yeah. And I'm like, of course I do, you know? And she said, no, what does this make possible? That's beautiful. Honestly, and that's beautiful because that's kind of where I find myself. Because the easy thing is to try to find your way back, uh, but you, but then if you get there, I don't think you can relive it. Uh, God, I think, is pulling us forward. Yes, in fact, you know, I'm going to say something weird, but I think you'll you'll get it as a five of the four. I think nostalgia is a sin. <laughs> we stay there for sure. I don't think having fond memories of the past is a sin, but I think God would take exception. <laughs> To the idea that everything, the best is behind us. I, I think what God is saying is that, no, 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 what's ahead? I hate to say it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it anyway. I don't care. 
I think that's part of the problem in our current political system is the belief that the past is where we need to go back. Uh-huh. I, I'm not saying that the future trajectory that we're on right now is necessarily the direction of the future that we should have. I'm just saying the idea that we should go back to something is a faithless idea. Yeah. Abraham didn't look back. The journey was forward. Yeah, I think the journey will only ever for eternity be forward. Mm, yeah. Uh, well, it sounds to me, let me uh, you know this quote, uh, it's John Calvin. I'm sure we have lots of Reformed people that you, you know in, in your universe. Calvin's great quote, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. I remember the first time I read that, my, I was blown away uh, that that's how he started the Institutes. Then, then confused, uh, because I grew up in a tradition that said, oh my gosh, don't think about yourself at all. Right. This is all you need to know. You're a sinner. Uh, God is really mad at you. Uh, Jesus has talked him out of doing something, you know, putting you into some uh, hellish thing for all of attorney. Uh, that's all you need to know. Focus on getting to know God, reading the Bible. All, all. So what, when you hear that, that, that sentence, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God, what does that mean to you? And, the, and how does the Enneagram fit into that? Yeah, last year I was uh, talking to... Uh a friend of mine who's a professor of psychology, and I asked him, what does God know about me that I don't know about myself? Oh my gosh, What? A, just repeat that question, because that's pretty good. Yeah, what does God know about me that I don't know about myself? Because I need to know that, because we're always actualizing God externally. You know, like if we were to say a prayer silently, we might, we might be looking at the corner of the room or outside when um, the scriptures will tell us that he is within us and uh, you know where so like if you're a Christian where is it that you've accepted Christ within your heart so this is the deepest part of your identity this is who you truly are and so the Enneagram has made me look that way and and stop trying to make God something outside but understanding that he's a part of inside and so the journey is inward Wow. I think the journey, I think you said something really important there. And by the way, those of you who aren't, you know, who don't self-identify as Christians here, okay? I mean, you know, this, this, this conversation is also about you. This is about being a human being. And so if you need to strip out some of this language and kind of get down underneath it into, you know, contextualizing it for your own life, that's fine. Because this is not per se a Christian uh, show, but it is about the mystery of this life of ours, this human personality, or, or just being human, right? Um, I think it was Joseph Conrad, uh, the great American author, Heart of Darkness, among others, Lord Jim. Um, he had a great quote. He says, It is my belief no man ever understands quite his own artful dodges to escape from the grim shadow of self-knowledge. Respond to that for me, would you? I think that's absolutely true for a five I mean, the self-knowledge piece is something that's very important to me. So, uh, you know, I don't relate specifically to it, although most people that I know would, that would be true. That they would do anything to avoid self-knowledge. Yeah, I think, um, I'm not sure exactly why that is. I think we keep refining and curating the best version of ourselves, and it's not real. It's what we are fabricating. So... Then we start believing our own hype 
and then we're lost. And our personality types actually, I think, put us into, if I can use this word, a, an almost hypnotic trance that, that and Jung would call it the shadow. We relegate to the shadow those parts of ourselves we don't want to see. What the Enneagram does is it takes a flashlight and it goes into the shadow with you. Yeah. And it says, okay, we got to look around. It's not going to be comfortable, but just know that there are incredibly, you are more beautiful than you know, and more tangled, untangled than you know. 100%. I have uh, been doing some yard work here before the snakes come out. Hold on a second. I'm a songwriter. Could you just write down the phrase before the snakes come out? <laughs> that's about as good. That's going to, that'll sing right there, won't it? Yeah, that's, that's a great line. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so there's big uh, picker bushes, that huge two inch pickers, and um, just untangling them without getting hurt and cut up and uh, uh, trying to pull them away has been kind of what I've been doing the last week. But what's underneath it is beautiful. Oh. And that's uh, literally, as I've been doing this work, I've been praying, God, like what I'm doing here physically, may this be what's happening in my heart. You're killing me. That is so great. And by the way, it's also revealing to me that you are a five of the four. Now, let me tell you why. And let me tell you why fives of the fours are very and people have heard me say this on the show, but I can't say this stuff enough, right? Because obviously not everyone listens to every show, but you are of an analytical mind, but you also, you have one foot in, in that sort of information, analytical mind, and one foot in the heart space. You've got one foot in the head space, one foot in the heart space, which means that you can analyze things and then express them just the way you just did just now. And that makes you uh, like David Byrne of Talking Heads, you know, like we'd be one of them. I mean, I can give you this long line of great artists who were five or four and they have this power that is really, it's a superpower, like, because they have two weapons going at the same time, heart and head. It's very, very powerful. And you just proved it in that really incredible, in that wonderful metaphor that, uh, that you just used. I mean, that, that was pretty rocking. Okay, so I agree. Most people don't want to do the self-knowledge thing. In fact, someone once asked me the question, what do you know and refuse to know about yourself at the same time? Yeah, wow. I'd have, yeah, that one's going to have to be stored and processed. <laughs> In fact, that's amazing. Yes, and by the way, it's not just the dark stuff. I mean, you know, it. Right. You know, like you know, I'm. This is a really bad sign. It's also what's beautiful about you that you refuse to see about your right. about your own life. You know, the church has done a great job of asking the first question and a terrible job of asking the second. You know, what is the beauty in you that you refuse to see, you know, for whatever and why? And it's such an important question because scriptures would tell us that we're here to reflect the glory of the Lord on the earth. So um, if we can't recognize the beauty, then I'm not sure how we can reflect it. Mm, that's true. I think I think that's right. So. Here we've got this statement of Calvin, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. How just universally in general, let's just talk about in the United States, let's say, or in the West, how is the church or Christian, how have we done at helping people know themselves? Um, well, which era are we talking Now, about? today. I think things may be moving in a positive direction. I travel a lot. I'm in a lot of places. I meet a lot of people. But I, I think, you know, there, there still is this uh, fear of getting it wrong. Mm. So, 
you know, we, we have the imprint of the generations before who were living in a different, uh, under different circumstances. And, and we're here now. And I think maybe, maybe we're, we're coming out of that. Yeah. I'm hoping. Yeah. Man, me too, because there's a significant price or cost involved uh, for folks if, who refuse to look inward, not in self-absorption, not in navel-gazing, none of that, not just to get information, mm-hmm. but really to not know yourself is, first of all, a great loss. Yeah. It also means that you're a danger to yourself and to others. I think, in community and to yourself. And I think that uh, the Enneagram uh, is one of a bunch of tools, but for me it's been particularly helpful for helping me, I think, like you, figure this out to develop some self-knowledge. So if if information isn't transformation, and you're you're a five, so you know, you, you better than any other number on the Enneagram, you know what it means to hoard I mean, just to gather tons of information. So you know that's true. Just because you know a lot doesn't mean anything, really, except that you, you makes you interesting at cocktail parties or entertaining to yourself uh, or to a class, let's say. Impressive. How do you take information and make it transformation? Well, I mean, I have tried to hoard every bit of information about God that I can find. And because this has been the pursuit of my life, I want to know God, but knowing God and knowing about God are different things. And so I've spent years and years and years trying to find the magic. Um, and it's not in the fire and it's not in the earthquake. It's in the still small voice that comes up from within. You know, it's for me, it's the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And it can't be written in a book and it can't, it, it can't be quantified. Dang it. <laughs> when i apply that to any other relationship so like if i apply that to my marriage it's the same way and you know my wife she she's like sting sings uh, she can be all four seasons in one day oh wow that's a great way of describing a four uh, so that's going to shift. That's going to change. And you got to be in the moment to, to be in that in relationship. So just studying her from a distance, just watching her and writing down everything she says and does. And then saying there, I've, I've demystified you. That's I'm never going to de- demystify her. Mm. Always going to surprise me in, in wonderful ways. And I think we have to look at our spirituality and relationship with God in the same way. You are an observer. Uh, fives are more observant than any other type. Now, I think there's a stereotype about fives, and we were speaking about it this past weekend. You know, I, I asked this question of the panel of fives. I said, you know, you all have a, uh, a reputation for being really, really smart. You know, that's the stereotype. All fives are like Stephen Hawking or Einstein, you know. And I said, but that's not possible, right? There's a lot of fives in the world. So there's got to be some who are not particularly bright or who are, might be even particularly dumb i mean you know what i'm saying like it's right so i said but what is universally true and enduring about all fives in your mind and to a person well let me ask you that what do you think is true and enduring of all fives because they're not because you can't say it's intelligence i think balance i think being fair Mm. i think um being able to understand both sides of an equation and knowing that uh, 
usually neither one is perfectly right. It's a blend of the two and understanding, get, kind of getting in the middle and being able to be in the middle and be the, not the middle man, but to be able to be balanced in a situation. Mm. So you just actually, okay, so you just said something that I believe is true. And now let me tell you what they said. They said, regardless of whether they're Stephen Hawking or a complete dope, all fives are observant to to a crazy level that they don't they're they're scanning and looking for data for sure and i'm i'm trying to slow the world down like i'm trying to say i don't need to know that mm. uh, i can go down that bunny trail mm-hmm. i can spend a whole day figuring that I, yeah i don't need to know that that's not the direction that my life is moving at. Yeah. i need to know what i need to know. that's conscious living you see that? What you just described as conscious living. This is what the Enneagram is so helpful for. When you're on autopilot, when you don't know this is the game, mm-hmm. you're just going to go do this stuff over and over and over again. Now you have this freedom. I'm not saying that it all happened because of the Enneagram, but this freedom to go, I am deliberately and intentionally slowing down and in the moment saying, do I need to go down this hole? Because the answer is no. Right. Now, sometimes it might be yes, right. but but in the moment you're making conscious life choices. And I think the more consciously we live the more freedom we have and whenever you start talking about freedom you're talking about god right. <laughs> every time freedom gets smaller can't be about god and i'm not saying license moral license I'm about real freedom right, all right i want to ask you a question because you, you you said something earlier that just piqued my interest and i i uh i think it was uh, was really cool when you were talking about you know your whole thing of gathering information i could do this information thing forever and ever against what is that a defense um I think ineptitude. You know, mm. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm I'm trying to figure out like when did this start and what has brought it to be a part of my path? Because you know, as you as you've articulated before, some of this stuff is just in genes, right? And then some of this stuff is the set of circumstances that you're in. And I I grew up in a pastor's home, so it was very very important for me to be um, good, <laughs> be a good boy. Uh, as a youngster, and I think you know, some of it started there. Um, my 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 dad was an evangelist before he was a pastor, so we traveled around a lot, and I spent a lot of solitary time in my early childhood. Uh, and so I, you know, I had to learn things. I had to find ways to uh, amuse myself. Mm. Again, that that's a great question that I will have wrestled with uh, over the next year or, or however long it takes to to find these things. But yeah, I'm I'm on that journey because I want to know what's behind the curtain. Yeah. Yes, and just to tie up this ribbon, right? I think what Calvin is saying is that when you get behind the curtain, there you're. That's where you're gonna find him. That 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 what you're going to discover is that he's not out there, but the kingdom has always been with him, yeah. and that's who you're going to find when you find yourself. And that's Merton. Merton said, uh, Thomas Merton said that if I find myself, I will find God. If I find God, I will find myself. And what he meant by that isn't New Agey. I'm if I'm the God within. He's no. He's making a really logical statement, which is I am the one from the Christian perspective who is hidden in Christ behind the curtain and i'm going to go behind the curtain and it's going to be pleasant and it's going to be unpleasant but in the end the story of who i am is so beautiful i am more wildly beautiful than i ever imagined yeah yeah and i'm, I'm just i'm trying to embrace that the the journey inward 
I'm pretty sure if somebody's really on that journey, it's going to be painful. Embracing pain isn't something we do well. Mm. It's something that we avoid well. And all five, all nine types have systems against pain. Yeah. And they are in many ways just systems against pain. Yeah. So go ahead. What are you going to say? I'm. That's just kind of my prayer right now is to be able to embrace these things as they come up, feel them, not stuff them, not analyze them, not try and figure them out. Actually, just let them be what they are and invite God into that. Um, because I don't think I can heal myself. Um, I I think I need God for that. I, I, I know I need God for that. So I'm trying to embrace the journey and uh, let the beautiful things be beautiful and let the painful things be what they are. Oh, we're going to end on that because it was just too good. <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, it was just such a – and I felt like that was a benediction. What you just said was a, was a benediction. Um, so for those of you who are fives, I, I want to give you a couple of – you know, kind of tips or, you know, um, things you might be able to do to help you on this journey from information to transformation. You know, it's just not enough to know what it's like to be a five. You're not a five. You know, we're, we're, you're something infinitely greater than a five. Five is just describing a constellation of behaviors, ways of thinking, acting, and feeling that are defensive in their structure. And yeah, part of it is beautiful that you're smart and you can observe and do all that stuff. Those are, that's wonderful. But man, when you start to take all those gifts in service to defending the ego and the agenda of the ego, man, that's when problems start to emerge. So here's some some tips to think about. You know, fives, you, you tend to observe rather than participate in life. You tend to sit on the frame and never get into the picture. So reflect on your life and ask yourself, how do I start to move more intentionally into relationships, into activities, not just observing them, maybe quicker than I normally do. You know, no, don't stand on the playground for half a recess. Try and get out there faster than that, you know, and participate in, in what's going on uh, in life. Practice self-disclosure. Not easy for fives. So private. So worried that uh, to reveal too much uh, that there's just not enough inner resources to be sharing it at that depth, you know, so much anxiety about it. Practice it. See, you know, this is that intentionality we were talking about, right? I mean, I'm telling myself, I put this stuff on Post-its about a four, you know, I mean, like I got a Post-it, Anthony, you've seen it on my computer. It says no emotion is final. <laughs> and no feeling is final, right? So it's from, of course, it's from a poet, Rainer Rilke. But it's true. That's that I need to be told that. So, you know, maybe write down, you know, put it on a post it on your dashboard of your car. You know, don't just look, jump into the activities of life today beyond just observing it. Another one I would throw in there is um, remember that we live in a world not of scarcity, but abundance. Yeah, that's a big one. Tell me why that's a big one. Uh, because it, it feels like at some point or another, there's not going to be enough. And if you haven't prepared for every eventuality, then you're going to put yourself in a vulnerable position and you don't want to be in a vulnerable position because, uh, you know, you, you've got to be on your, uh, on your game. You've got to know what's going. I mean, for fives, it feels like a lot depends on us. Mm. Because usually the, the orbit of our lives, everyone that's in our lives ends up looking to us for either advice, wisdom, uh, counsel, or care. And so, yeah, that's why it feels that way. The road back to you, you know, starts to explore this in a, in a way that I think is helpful. But I'm going to end on one that I think you hit today, and that's why I'm going to hit it, but it's true for every type. A friend of mine was in a casino, 
and they had a up on the wall on some big jumbotron. They had all the rules of the room, right? And one of the rules was you got to be present to win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> is that great? That's beautiful. Yeah. And you were just saying that I think, which is like I can't be in the future. I can't go live in the past. I can't go live up in my head. I got to live in here in this moment. I think that's just a spiritual principle across all traditions, actually. Live here, live now, live undefended as much as you can in this life. Um, I just think about the Archbishop of Canterbury many, many years ago saying the Christian life is undefended. That That is amazing. And that is true. And that is very difficult for a five mm. because um because you know, so many things can go wrong but what i'm learning is uh, i am not god <laughs> and uh if he is for me and, and you know i can say then who could be against me but that's not if he actually is for me then i don't have to figure everything out mm. I have to analyze every potential eventuality and reason it out and be prepared because so much of my life is problem-solving things that haven't happened and aren't going to happen. I'm just prepared for them if they do. But usually they don't. And so it's a waste of energy. Mm. Just knowing that you are uh, in God, with God, he is for you and leading you if you're, if you're observing, then um, you don't have to know all that stuff. Mm. Great wisdom. I got to close, Brian. I, but as I close, friends, reminding you again about Talkspace, the online therapy company, 1,500 therapists that you can choose from. Uh, they are a terrific company. And we've got a special offer for, for you through them. Uh, all you need to do is go to Talkspace, T-A-L-K-S-P-A-C-E dot com forward slash typology, T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y to learn what that special offer is. And uh, folks, I also want to remind you, um, we are so appreciative of all the help you are giving to us to keep this show going uh, through Patreon. I also want to say, though, uh, for those of you out there who may be parts of organizations or companies or whatever that might want to advertise through our, for our show, here's how you maybe begin the journey of maybe exploring it. Just email Wendy, W-E-N-D-Y, at iancron.com, I-A-N-C-R-O-N.com, if you're interested in advertising on our show. Because as you know, right, Daily Audio Bob, when you guys got started, were you surprised at how expensive it was to run a podcast? Quite. (laughs) You and I together, brother. I'm so quite surprised. Yes. So, you know, and people don't realize that we start these things out of a love and they, we have to monetize them ourselves. And then we go, oh, my gosh, we need help. Right. So, folks, I don't mind saying this. I'm a four. Uh, I don't have any pride. We need help. <laughs> we need help. Listen, I, I want you to stick around and hear our friend Ryan Neal's song, Three, the song that's written for the performers, sometimes called The Achievers. We're going to bring it up right now for you to listen to. And don't forget the words of the great Oscar Wilde. Be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. Here's Ryan. I've done enough 
and your golden child grew up. Maybe this trophy isn't real love, and with or without it, I'm good enough. Maybe I've done enough. Finally catching up For the first time I'll see an image of My brokenness Utterly worthy of love Maybe I've done enough Hold 